You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I invite your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians, where we want to continue our uh, lesson. Now, somebody say we're in the good part. Okay, it's all good. It's all good. But for lack of a better word, we are in the good part. And uh, last Wednesday night, of course, uh, was some strong teaching, not because it was me, but because of the Word of God. And uh, I see that we have a smaller crowd tonight, this week. (laughs) So pray, saints. Amen. No, I know that there are uh, several that are sick, many that are sick. And uh, including our own executive pastor, Brother Ryan. So I need a uh, good reader tonight. Are, do you have good vision? Uh, 2020. 2020. Well, I guess that'll do. That'll have to do. Amen tonight. So, and you didn't bring your big Bible. No. Shame on you. That's all right. Amen. My pastor used to bring the biggest Bible he could out. And you knew it was going to be a good sermon when he brought his big Bible out. So tonight I have, it's it's probably a big Bible, but I have two big Bibles here. So just to make up for it. Amen. We're going to the book of 1 Corinthians. Everybody okay tonight? Amen. Amen. Uh, And I know know there's a little bit of weariness, a little bit of tiredness, the season, uh, as things are going. That's all right. Um, I thank God for a wonderful, wonderful uh, crowd last evening at prayer here on Midweek Prayer. Uh, Tuesday, and uh, just the presence of the Lord, blessing of the Lord. But I want to say to somebody, be not weary in well-doing. There is a weariness sometimes that can come in well-doing. And uh, there's a lot of things right now, and it's not just here. So don't think that we are special, but I've spoken with a few other pastors that have said that their year, man, they've just had a lot of things coming up, health, other issues, attacking, whatever. We don't understand everything. Uh, try to figure it all out, but uh, thank God that He is faithful. And so be not weary in well-doing. So the Lord is working on our behalf, and we praise God for that. A lot of good things happening. We're in our series, uh, The Wisdom of God, a study in 1 Corinthians. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, of course. And as we were going through chapter 5, we uh, note that Paul was uh, expressly, specifically dealing with a single issue that he had heard report of happening in the Corinthian church, taking place there. And with that issue, he he called it out and he dealt with what we can assume safely to be a man in unrepentant, defiant sin, public sin. And we know this because they had already operated after the manner that Jesus instructs them that when someone is... uh, uh, when you, when you have ought against someone, you are to go to them first, and then if they don't hear you, you take someone with you and you go with them. And if they don't hear you, you bring them before the church and you deal with the issue. And here I won't get into all of that. Here is a man that is living in a high-profile life, breaking the law, breaking the, the command of the Lord, and living in an immoral life, uh, sexual life style with his, what we would call his stepmother, his father's wife. And this is rather specific, and it's rather bold. Now, we dealt with that last week, so we're not going to deal with that this week. If you want to hear all the nitty-gritty about that, you can go back and you can catch 
uh, the podcast or the YouTube or whatever last week's live stream on that. But when he closed out chapter 5, he closed out chapter 5 by establishing an interesting principle. Now, he talked about what some would call uh, an excommunication process of someone within the church. And no one wants to uh, deal with those issues or talk about those issues because those are hard things. But one thing we tried to highlight was that when there was to be a public discipline, such as what Paul expressed here, when that public discipline took place, the purpose for the discipline, or you put whatever word you want, excommunication or whatever else, the disfellowshipping of the person by, by saying, look, because of your stance and your unrepentant, bold, selfish, sinful lifestyle, we are not going to permit you, Paul says, to partake in the Lord's Supper, to continue to call yourself a Christian and a believer and a part of this body. This is bringing shame. And so when Paul would, when, when they were to exercise this, the purpose of that was never to uh, condemn someone to a position of uh, eternal damnation or a position of you can't ever be saved. The reason why Paul said that they would do this is for the purpose of bringing them to repentance. And why repentance? So that they could be restored into the body of Christ. So I want to make that plain. I want you to understand that, that Paul was not about going around the church. We, we don't want to create, we don't need to create spiritual skeptics among us. Everybody awake? Yeah. We, we don't want to create spiritual skeptics. We don't want to create people that are walking around the church, measuring everybody else, looking for the fault in them, so that you can bring it out before everybody else. That's not, that was not what Paul was doing. He was dealing with an extreme circumstance, and he was saying when these things happen, and they will happen, they do happen, he said the purpose, the reason why you handle this this way is so that they can be saved. You turn them over to Satan so that their spirit, so that they can be saved. That was the purpose. And he closed it out by letting us know an interesting principle. He says, you in the body of Christ, you are to judge those within the church and let God judge those that are without the church. Deal with those outside of the church. Now, he was not talking about us pronouncing final judgment on someone else. We are not the judge. You are not the judge of me. I am not the judge of you. We will all stand equally before a holy, sovereign God who will pronounce judgment over us. We will be judged by God. But when he says that within the church we are to judge, we are to make judgments or discernments or adjudications by which we can discern or know this is right this is not wrong I'm not judging you but I am seeing the evidence of things that are happening and he says look if someone is living in an absolute hypocritical lifestyle don't even eat with them don't condone their life don't pretend as if everything is okay when everything is not okay 
And he's going to deal with some of those issues again here in chapter 6. But what Paul is saying is that you do have to make judgments about the things that are happening around you and among you. And so we are to be a gracious church, a loving church. Amen. Amen. We are to be a church that receives whosoever will. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We are to, we are, this ought to be the place. If somebody wants forgiveness, somebody wants redemption, this ought to be the place. It doesn't matter how long you've known them, how much sin you've seen in their life. If they are coming to church with the purpose of reconnecting with God, hey, you're welcome here. This is what this is about. What Paul was talking about, people that were resistant. They wanted to carry the label, but they didn't want to reconnect with God. They wanted to live in their same lifestyle of sexual immorality, specifically in that situation. And Paul says, look, in that, you have to make a discernment and say, no, I can't have party with you. Now, that's not the same with somebody who is overtaken in a fault, someone who's dealing with, and, and, I, and, and we all know people like this. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that's dealing with addictions, that's dealing with temptations, that's dealing with lust, that's dealing with whatever the problems, but yet they're still coming to church, and they're still coming to the altar. And maybe they haven't got to the place where they've allowed uh, the Lord to bring victory in their life over sin. So we're not looking at someone and say, well, aha, okay, okay, Brother Brandon, did you fail this week? What did you do this week? We're not, we're not doing that. We're not examining. He's here. We're, we're taking it on good faith. Most people don't like to sit on the front row, but here he is sitting on the front row. We're taking it on good faith that he's come to hear the word of God and he's come to posture his life. That doesn't mean that everything in his life is perfect. I don't have to fear. I don't have to. I'm not the judge of him. I can leave him in God's hands. I don't have to worry about that. But if there is someone then that is among us, that we know what they're living, what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're planning next week, what they're planning after the service, but yet they have the audacity to show up in church. Does anybody follow me here? Knowing what's going on. Paul says, look, you judge that. You don't want to be party to that. So you discern that and you make judgments over that. So we can both judge those things that are going on. We don't judge the people in the world. They're sinners. They're lost. We, we don't have to worry about that. But God's going to take care of that. We know that we, we don't have to judge them because we know without God in their life, they are without hope. So I don't have to make that judgment. I don't have to discern. This is not someone that I want to be like. This is not someone that I want to uh, uh, look up to. This is not someone that I want their voice inside of my life when they are not living under the authority of God and his word in their life. I don't have to judge that. That's already taken care of. That's between them and God. God's going to take care of them. But in the church, here we are because I need people. How many, how many, how many would say, I, I, need, I need not just God. I need the body of Christ in my life. I need the body of Christ in my life. So I have to be aware of those that are around me. The Bible says, know them that labor among you. I have to know them because when I come in, I'm coming into a place of fellowship. When I come into prayer, we sit down, I'm coming into a place where I'm, 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 I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable and transparent. And I'm, I'm looking for the prayers of saints. I'm looking for faith. I'm looking for encouragement. I'm looking to be built up together in righteousness. I'm not looking to be contaminated with the things of this world when I come into the church. Yeah. How many have ever been in the hospital? And you go to the hospital what? To get well, not to get sick. But do you know that a lot of times people end up getting sick 
In fact, back uh, just 100 years ago, it was, I think it was in the early 19, my stats could be off, but maybe in the early 1920s, 19-teens, that hospitals had taken on such popularity, and now most women, uh, or a lot of women, were giving birth at hospitals instead of home 100 years ago. It's a big trans- transition that's happened in medicine and modernity and everything else. And there was a period of time where you had a better chance, a woman had a better chance of surviving childbirth at home than they did at the hospital. Not because the physicians weren't able to attend to them and help them and, and the baby survive, but because they were more likely to get contaminated at the hospital and infected with something they didn't even have than they were if they stayed home and took all the risk of going through the process of natural childbirth at home by themselves. How, how horrible would it be for somebody to come to the church and for people constantly to be coming infected with things that they weren't even infected with when they came in looking for help? What are they going to say after that? Well, why even go to church? What's the point? Might as well stay. I'm better off if I stay home. You're better off. So this is what Paul is saying. Yes, we're in the church, but we must be wise. We have to know what's going on. And what he's saying about the sin that they were tolerating and permitting in the church was he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And what you are permitting in in, uh, uh, moderation, so you think, is actually going to end up infecting everything. So he closes out chapter 5 by saying, you therefore then have to judge those things around you. Is that all right? Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that you're you're, you're judging everybody eternally. But don't you hope that at a hospital... The nurses or the physicians, as they're walking around, if they are seeing places and parts of the hospital that are untidy or routines that aren't being followed or sanitary situations that aren't being upheld, you would hope that they would bring it to attention, that they would deal with the issue. And so this is what Paul is telling the church. You, as a member of the body, must deal with the issues. Don't worry about what's happening outside. Okay, so let me put it in this this analogy that I'm using. If you work in the hospital, it's your responsibility as as any employee, no matter what, to help keep the hospital a safe place for people to get better. Don't be more worried about what's happening outside the hospital than you are inside the hospital. Let God worry about what's happening out there, but you take care of what's in here. So that's the same thing Paul's saying. Look, you're in the church. Don't worry about what's happening outside the world. God's going to take care of what's happening outside the world. You deal with what's happening here inside the church. Yeah. Yeah. Is that all right? I think that's I think that's good teaching that Paul's giving us because if we're not careful, we can live in this world and our attentions and our focus can be more on the things that are taking place outside of the church. Yeah. Yeah than the things taking place inside of the church. You take care of the church. If you take care of the body, if you take care of the things that are inside of the church, God will take care of the things outside of the church. Amen. 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 You want revival? Don't worry about what's happening outside the church. Worry about what's happening inside the church. Okay, so let's come with this now to 
First Corinthians chapter six. And here we're going to run through this. We're going to walk through this. Let me say that tonight. No, I don't excuse my euphemism. Dare any of you, go ahead and read. Read for us, Brother Brandon. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Okay. You have to read a little slower for the people in the back row. <laughs> Dare any of you having a matter against another. Okay. Who are you having a matter against? Not someone else in the world, but someone else in the church. Read. Go to the law before the unjust. Go to law before who? The church? No. The unjust. Read. And not before the saints. And not before the saints. Okay. So now Paul is, is actually using what he had set up in chapter 5 to segue into the next issue that they're dealing with. And he's saying, here's the issue. You are taking one another to law or to court. The body of Christ, later on he's going to identify it, brother to brother. So this is the issue that he starts dealing out with. And in our outline, the next point that we would have here in the first 11 uh, verses of chapter 6 is the judgment by the saints. So that's the next point in our outline. Judgment by the saints. These are the two parts of this chapter. Judgment by the saints. And then in the last part, he talks about the believer's body, a temple of the Holy Ghost. And so he's first talking about judgment by the saints, how we are to judge. He's already referenced that a little bit in chapter 5. And now he's going to deal with it here. He's going to segue into the next problem. Paul is, is so wise in the way that he is walking through this. I want you to read on now. Read the next couple of verses here. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? All right. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Yes. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Okay. How much more things that pertain to this life? Right. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed least in the church. Least esteemed. Yes. Read on. I speak to your shame. Here it is. Now that's a strong statement. I speak to your shame. So now here it is. Read on. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Mm -hmm. No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Mm. But brother goeth to the law, goeth to law with brother. Brother against brother. Yes. And that before the unbelievers. There it is. He's saying the same thing as he said in verse Number one. Now let's pause right here. The next sex section is critical, but let's pause right here. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, here it is. How dare you? You are going to law against your brother in, in the gospel, in the faith, and you're going to law before those that are not saints, the unjust, those that are not living according to God, that have no regard for God, to let them pass judgment over you. And then look at what he says. Here's his argument. He says, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? Now, here is good Christian theology that he, he uh, unfolds later on. But we know this. The saints, those that are called out, those that are saved, are going to sit in judgment of the world. Our eschatology would inform us that, that Jesus lets us know 
that when we are faithful, when we are saved, when we are brought through, that we will rule and reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth. It tells us that the church, those that are called out, those that have come out of great tribulation, they are going to sit in judgment over against those that didn't make it, that rejected God. When the church is raptured, when the church is caught away, when we are brought together with the Lord for being faithful without spot or wrinkle, not because of our goodness, but because of His righteousness taken in our life, upon, put upon our life and imputed to us, when we are saved, our very existence as the bride of Christ is going to sit in judgment against the rest of the world that is not saved. No one else in this world will have an excuse because there will be those that have been redeemed, those that have been blood-bought, those that have been saved. No one will be able to stand before God and say, God, I could not make it. I could not obey. I could not serve you. I could not surrender because of... <coughs> and give your excuse. Why? Because there will be someone else that had the same sin and the same temptation and the same pitfall and the yeah. same shortcoming, yeah. but found their way to an altar and took up a cross and was buried in Jesus' name yeah. for the remission of sins and received the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. To walk in the newness. of No one is going to be able to say, well, I couldn't do it because I had a hard, a, hard, a hard family. My mother wasn't right to me. Or this didn't happen. Or that didn't happen. You know why? Because there's going to be people who had a hard family and parents that didn't treat them right and other things, but yet said, I'm going to put my hope and my faith in Christ and God's going to redeem him. Aren't you thankful for the testimony? Your testimony. Amen. Tonight, some of you are sitting here and you ought not be here. You don't belong here. Turn to somebody and tell them, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. You don't belong here. But the grace and the mercy of God brought you here. And you tonight, your very act in this weary week of saying, I'm going to church tonight anyways for fear that pastor's going to preach way too long. But I'm still going. And the fact that you came stands in testimony against everybody else that says, well, I, I can't make it because I, I, I got this and I got that. And I got, I'm not talking about people that are sick at home watching online. God bless you. Thank you. You're tuned in online. I'm not talking about that. But you stand as a witness and a testimony. You may still be carrying burdens. You may still be carrying things that you need to let go of or God needs to work a miracle in your life, but you are here in the house of the Lord tonight. You've made the right choice. You put God first regardless of whatever else was happening. You sit in testimony tonight over against everyone else that chose the easy road, that chose not to crucify their flesh, that chose not to surrender to the Lord, that's living a life of sin out in the world. You sit in testimony today. This is what Paul says. You Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You are going to judge the world because God redeemed you. You know why? Does anybody remember the story of Lazarus? They called Lazarus out of the tomb. And what, are the world, what, what did they want to do when Lazarus was brought resurrected? 
They wanted to kill him. They sought, the Bible says they sought to kill Lazarus because Lazarus was a witness and a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees didn't like it, so they sought to kill him. You are a witness and a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. Come on, is there anybody here that the Lord's ever set you free? Come on, has God ever delivered anybody of an addiction? Come on, has God ever healed somebody? Has God ever encouraged somebody? You were at a place, but the Lord took away some things in your life. You sit here tonight as a testimony. And Paul says, the, the world will be judged by you. Look at what he says. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, got, we got brother taking brother against law because so-and-so took your lawnmower, and when they brought it back, it only had one wheel instead of four. Come on, you think I'm making this stuff up. Have you ever seen Judge Judy? <laughs> Sometimes it's absolutely ridiculous, the stuff that people go to court over. And this is what is playing out in the church in that day. And Paul says, really? You're going to call yourself saved. You're going to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are going to live in victory, and yet you don't trust someone else in your church to judge. You're going to sit in judgment over the world, and you can't figure out the issue? Nobody's going to help me preach on... Maybe I hit a nerve there. I don't know. If you borrowed the lawnmower, send it back. Fix it up. The world shall be, and he said, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Look, go on. What did he say? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? All right. You have the choice, and yet you chose. You chose. You chose to run back to the grace and the mercy of God. You chose to, fall, to follow the Lord. And yet the angels who without veiled eyes beheld his glory. The angels without uh, the distance of time and the invincibility of God. The angels which behold Him day and night continually. Those, the Bible says Lucifer, would exalt himself against the Most High God. Him knowing everything. You not knowing, not seeing everything, and yet you have faith because of the world around you, because of the things that God has done, because of your desperation. Have you seen God? You may not have yet seen God with your physical eye, but yet you believe and you know and you trust that faith. Why, there were some angels that saw God. And they rejected God as He was. You will sit in judgment of the angels. And he says, how much more the things that pertain to this life. If you have the spiritual wherewithal to know how to crucify your flesh and to live surrendered to God and to live an overcoming life in the Spirit of God, then you ought to have enough wisdom, God-given wisdom in your life to figure out what really matters in this world and what doesn't matter and how to navigate through it. If you can, is this what he's saying? If you have the wherewithal to overcome temptation through the power of God, 
then you ought to have the wherewithal to figure out these things. And look at what he says. He says, then, if then ye have judgment of these things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least. Now, Paul, don't get radical here. Don't get carried away. Who are the least esteemed in the church. Guess what? I got news for you. There were those in the Corinthian church that were of high esteem and those that weren't of much esteem. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. And what Paul says is he says the least esteemed among you ought to be able to judge and figure out some things. You're not following the word of the Lord. The Bible says you go to that person. If you have an ought against someone, you go to them. And, 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 and you try to make a reconciliation. He said if someone has ought against you and you know about it, you go to them. So whether you have the ought or you're oughted against... What do you do? You go to them and you try to make reconciliation. And when it doesn't work, what do you do? You go find another brother or sister in the church and you take them together and you go to them. And Paul says it it could be the least esteemed among you to work out your differences. This is probably one of the most practical issues or topics that has been responsible for all kinds of church division and disunity. And here it is. Paul calls it out. Look at what he says. He said, I speak to your shame. Everybody say shame. Shame. Now this is a strong word. Why? Because shame is associated with sin. Shame is what came in the garden when Adam and Eve did not obey. There was shame. And he said, it is so... Is it so? Now we ask this question. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? Okay, why? This statement is a little funny because it seems like Paul is being sarcastic. Maybe he's not being sarcastic. But it seems like Paul is being sarcastic here. And the reason why is because the issue at the beginning of the book, if you don't forget, is that they were counting themselves wise in the wisdom of this world. And Paul's argument was don't be wise by the things of this world. Be wise according to the cross. Because the cross is to this world foolishness. It's the foolishness of preaching that God chose to save them. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. And so now they're they're arguing and some of them are saying, well, I'm of Paul. And some are saying, well, I'm of Apollos. And then you have that other group that's saying, well, I'm from I'm of Christ. Bless God. I get my I get my information straight from the source. And this is what he had in the church. And he said, you all are being foolish. None of you are being wise. And he goes on. And so now he is calling back to the first part of his letter. Now, we've taken a few weeks to get to this part. But they would have read the letter in one sitting. It would have been given to them to hear in one setting. And so here, first he talks to them about how they need to be wise. Not after the manner of the world as they are bragging about and they're boasting. He says, your boasting is not good. You're going around saying you're so wise but here it is you're claiming to be so wise but there's not even one wise person in your church that you have to run to the pagan secular culture to make judgment for the issues that are taking place between you 
And he says, it is to your shame. So in our modern context, I don't, I don't know that this is happening here. I don't know this is going on, but I know it's gone on before. What he's saying, he's saying, don't take your brother or your sister to court in a secular courtroom and expect someone who's not a believer to pass down judgment that's going to be ordained of God. This is exactly what Paul is saying. And he said, I speak this to your shame, but brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Okay? That before the unbelievers. So let's look here. Corinthian, uh, Corinth, the Corinthians are, are Greek in culture. And the custom of the Greeks in that day, if you watched that video at the intro that we, we talked a little bit about the historical setting of this uh, lesson, if you watched that video, it showed you a place where they would bring out uh, law cases or they would bring public disputes, for lack of a better word. And what they would do was there was this little platform that was sort of in the middle of a courtyard. And uh, if you watched that video, it showed you several of them there in Corinth. And they would pay a fee, a legal fee or whatever, and they would bring the person, if they had a problem against them, let me just pick on him. I don't have a problem with him, and we're not in a court battle right now. So come on up here, Brother Ethan. You help me out. And I, let's say I had a problem against him, so I would bring him down. I'd file my claim, my dispute. I'd pay a fee, and he would come out there, come on out there, and you'd stand up on the front. There would be this little platform out in the middle of the courtyard. And to stand up there. And then I would stand before everybody, and there was like this... Uh, sort of, a, sometimes there were seats even on the side. So everybody that wasn't working that day, they'd come out and they'd, uh, you know, bring their sack lunch or whatever and they'd hang out and they would watch this and it was entertaining. So you guys just thought that court TV was a modern invention. <laughs> but this actually is thousands of years old. Thousands. Of, and they would sit and this is how they get part partial entertainment. They would watch people bring each other to court and they would stand out there and that person would be on trial, and they would, de they, they, would, they would denounce them. They would tell what's going on. That person would have to give, and there would be this public argument. And then sort of the ruler or the governor there in that area would sort of then pass law, make, make some kind of a judgment call there, and then they'd be dismissed. And here's what Paul is saying. He said, it's shameful for you because you're claiming to be wise. But what you're doing is when you're having an issue or dispute in the church, he said, you're bringing the issues publicly before the world and you're putting it on public display, brother to brother, going to law before the unjust that are all standing around. How does this edify? How does this edify? How does this bring glory? How does this bring peace? How does this solve the problem? He said, by you standing out here, you're frustrated. You're mad about your, they didn't have lawnmowers back there, but I'm just using that as a facetious kind of thing. You're mad about your lawnmower the way he did. So you're publicly standing up here and let, letting everybody know what's going on. And they're trying to figure out, could you imagine the person up here standing here? Okay, you got a problem with the lawnmower? Borrowed, did you borrow his lawnmower? Yes, you borrowed his lawnmower. What do you do to your lawnmower? Oh, he brought it back only one wheel, three, three wheels missing. Okay, here's the problem. How'd you guys meet? Friends. Where were you friends from? Church. What did he say? Church. 
You're standing up here. You think you're going to reach your city. You think you're going to win the world. You think you are glorifying God when you're bringing issue to issue. And when the issue comes out, oh, how do you guys know each other? Oh, we met at church. Everybody out there saying, okay, mark it down. We don't want to go to that church. That's not the church I want to go to. Why? Because they bring it out here. Am I in the book? Is this what he's saying? Look at what he's saying. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. This is what Paul is saying. Now, does this mean you can't go to law? Does this mean you can't use the laws of the land? No, that's not what Paul is saying. That is not the issue here that what Paul is saying. You, you, there are times when you have to enter into uh, uh, some kind of, of legal dispute. It's unfortunate, but that's, that's the mechanisms of our civilization. That's the laws of our government. And we are to be law-abiding citizens. There's time that we do that. But what Paul is saying here is when you're bringing your issues out before unjust men and taking the judgment of them, he said it would have been better for you two to go to the least esteemed in the church and say, look, we got a problem. We got an impasse. You make a decision. Whatever you say, we're going to settle it and we're going get over it. We're going to go beyond it. We're going to, we're going to move on and it'll be okay. So if you want a biblical way to deal with a dispute in the church, here it is right here. First Corinthians chapter number six, let someone full of the Holy ghost sit there and then let take what they say when it don't get your way. Don't take it to the court of law and make a big shame because it doesn't do anything. Paul says all it does is it brings shame upon the church. It brings shame upon you. It brings shame upon your witness. It brings shame upon your testimony. Now let's continue on. Verse 7. Look at what he says. Read verse 7. Now therefore. Now therefore. There is utterly a fault among you. Utterly a fault among you. Why? Because you go to law one with another. Because you go to law one with another. Look at what he asked. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Woo! Nobody likes this teaching. Read. Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Oh, Lord, help us. Read. Nay, ye, de, ye do wrong and defraud, and take that your brethren. And that your brethren. And that your brethren. Know ye not? Hold on, hold on. Let's pause there. Here's what he said. Look, he had already, he's already made the case of why we don't go to law against brother, because it's shameful. But now you want to know, okay, what do I do then, Paul? Here's what Paul says. You know what you should have done? Rather than take it before the unjust, rather before, before the world, rather than smear the witness of God, he says what you should have done is you should have just taken the wrong. Now that is countercultural to the world and the climate that we live in today. We live in an eye for eye, in a tooth for tooth. You took, I'm going I'm I'm to get you back, and I'm just going to get you back, I'm going to pay you back with interest. You hit me, I'm going to hit you, and then I'm going to add a little interest. I'm going to hit you harder. You do this. Yeah, yeah. And this is, what, this is what Paul is telling them. When someone in the church does you wrong, settle it among yourselves. And when you can't settle it, suffer the wrong. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. 
Mark it off. Okay, I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that. I'm going to have to buy a new lawnmower, and I'm not getting that lawnmower back. Lawnmower's never coming back. I'm burying it beneath the blood. I'm going to buy me a new lawnmower. may not loan it to him again. <laughs> but we're going to keep going to church. And I'm going to look. I'm, I'm going to worship God. And I'm going to rejoice when he, when he rejoices. I'm going to be happy. We're going to go on and we'll keep on keeping. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to suffer it. I, I'm, I'm going to eat it. It's going to hurt me. But I'm going to get over it. Why? Because that's what Christ did. Yeah. That's exactly what he did when he went to the cross. He never gritted his teeth one time. He never retaliated one time. There was never a swear word that slipped out one time. They continued to mock him. They continued to beat him. Those Roman executors, as they carried that out, this was the first. You think they forgot about that moment? They would never forget about him because this never happened. They would break down the best, even the innocent, and the innocent would retaliate and defame and cry out and say, you're making a mistake and get mad. But Jesus never uttered a word of justification. He went like a lamb to the slaughter. And as they brought the final blow of nailing his hands to the cross, instead of crying out, he cried out, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. We really are going to be Christ-like. We've got to learn to bear one another's burdens. And that's exactly what that verse means. Bear one another's burdens doesn't mean that I come over and I help you when you have too much on you to handle. Bear one another's burdens is exactly what he's saying right here. Look at what he says. He goes on in verse number eight. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. You know what Paul says? You were done wrong. That's right. But you know what? You did wrong to a wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, they may have done you wrong, but what you should have done is you should have suffered it for Christ's sake. You do wrong because you chose to defraud them. You retaliated back to your brethren. Go to Galatians, if you will. The book of Galatians, and it's chapter number 6 as well. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 2, Galatians 6 and 2, look at what Paul says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. This is verse 1. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. Verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Another way we could say this is bear ye one another's wrongdoings and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's talking about those which are spiritual. Help a man who's overtaken in a fault. What's his fault? Well, his fault, he's been an offense to Christ, but he's also probably going to be an offense to you. Bear his burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Absorb his wrongdoing that he can be saved that they can be saved. Bear ye one another's burdens. I'm going to tell you, you know what we need in this last day? We need a church that can stand true in the love of God. And that means that sometimes you're going to be done wrong in the church. And I know we got to, 
I, I, I know church hurt is a real thing. It's a, it's a real hot topic right now. Every, everybody talks about church hurt, and we want to address that. We want to minimize it. There's a lot of bad stuff. Too many people that have come to the hospital to get healed, and instead they left sick. There's too many people that have come to the church for one thing, and instead they come infected with something else. So we don't, we don't d- dismiss the acknowledgement of church hurt. There is church hurt. And for those that are weak and those that are shamed, this, this is exactly the church hurt. You want to talk about church hurt, well, when your brother takes you before court of law in front of everybody else and stands up and tells all your dirty business, that church hurt. Not only is nobody else in the courtroom going to that church, but they're probably not coming back to that church either. But what Paul says is he says those who are spiritual. What's he talking about? Those who are mature. You've been in church a while. Yes, you're going to get done wrong. Don't be offended. Bear ye one another's burdens. Somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's going to upset you. Somebody's going to do something. Not everybody's going to invite you out to eat. Well, they had a party and they didn't invite me. Help my Holy Ghost tonight. Well, that's all right because there may be another party they invite you to that they don't invite somebody else. There may be a time where, have you ever, have you ever upset somebody you didn't even know you were upsetting somebody? Come on. All the husbands say amen. Come on. <laughs> Don't lie. Don't leave me hanging here. I don't even know what I did. I did. I didn't mean that. I don't, if my wife who knows me, if I can hurt her, offend her, well, then I'm probably sure at some point I may have, you may have thought I was looking at you. Well, bless God, Pastor, was, he looked at, gave me a mean look today. Well, maybe it wasn't you. Right? <laughs> right? It could have been something else. Man, I, I, was, I don't know. You know, you know what's going on here? You, you understand what he's saying here. Paul says, look, bear ye one another's burdens. You know why I need to learn to bear your burdens? Because I'm going to need you at some point to bear my burdens. And that's what makes us the body of Christ. When you do that, I'm going to tell you, you'll have a list a mile long saying, that's the kind of church I want to sign up. That's the kind of church I want to go to. I want to go to a church when I'm not perfect. They still love me. I want to go. Yeah, yeah, maybe I made them mad. Maybe I did something wrong, but I know I can still come back. I'm going to tell you, that's the kind of church we've got to be. We've got to be a church that's loving. We can, we can both stand against sin and be strong in the Word of God, holiness and righteous living and overcoming a life of sin. We can do that and both have a, a, a reputation of love. You know where that reputation comes from? That reputation does not come from what we speak over this pulpit. That reputation does not come from what we sing off this platform. That reputation does not come off the platform at all. That reputation is established in how we deal with one another. And how we deal with one another is the reputation that's sent out. When other people see someone else, I'm going to tell you, you never know who's watching, but people are watching. Your children are watching, first of all. All kinds of people are watching. But when you are done wrong and you bear it, just take it, just absorb it. Well, man, if they would have done that to me, I would have punched them back in the mouth. But they didn't. And then the next Sunday I see them and there they are and they're shaking hands and someone's, I, I see they're getting through. You know what that does? When somebody sees that, I say, all right, you know what? When I did something foolish and I did something done, that lets me know that I can come back to church next Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. Is this all right tonight? Is this good stuff? This is, this is good stuff. I need to hear this. 
You need to hear this. I need to hear this. This is, this is, this is so important for us. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Read on. Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? All right. Go on. Be not deceived. Oh, yes. Neither fornicators, yes. nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, right. nor abusers of themselves with mankind, All right. nor thieves, yes. nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, right. nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. And such were some of you. There you are. All right. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying, look, 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 you're making a mistake. You're making two mistakes. One, you're going to ungodly people and you're letting them judge. But what you should be do is you, doing is you should be absorbing the wrongdoing that's taking place in the church. Deal with the issues and absorb the wrongdoing. Why? Because such were some of you. <laughs> you used to be out there in the world. You used to be one out there. And he says, be not deceived, God. Come on. Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, the homosexuals, abusers of themselves with mankind, people that are doing abusive sexual practice, thieves, covets, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. None of these are going to inherit the kingdom of God. He stands strong on the sin. Absolute. This is, not, this is not the pathway to life. Don't let these men be the one that are passing judgment over you. Yeah. You're going to the ungodly as if they have wisdom to bring into your life. And then he says, thankfully, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful? Amen. That we don't stand from a judgment seat saying, aha, look at the sin in your life. But we stand in the mercy seat <laughs> saying God can redeem your life. No matter the sin, God can save your life. So stop making this about judgment and show mercy and show grace. Stand together with me tonight. Judgment by the saints. Judgment by the saints. So don't take another brother or sister to the court of law. Sometimes you have to. You have to take somebody that's not, not in the faith, not in the church. Sometimes you have to deal with issues like that. But you, you deal with your disputes. You deal with that privately. Because there's not going to be any glory. There's not going to be any, any, any blessing that comes from that. It's a shame. It's a shame when preacher goes against preacher in a court of law. It's not biblical. It's antichrist. And it just dirties everything. And here we have scripture verse black and white. What are we to do? Just take the wrong. Anybody ever been done wrong? What do you do? Take it to the Lord. Take it to the cross. And let the Lord deal with it. God keeps perfect score. He'll do everything right. And we trust in him. Amen. Let's thank God for his word tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for every way that you lead us. Pray that you order our footsteps, God. I want to be more like you. Let us not stand in seat of judgment, Lord, but let us stand from the mercy seat. Let us love one another. God, let us, Lord, let us bear one another's burdens for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Let us lay down our prides and our wrongdoing. Have your way in our life. For this, we give you glory and we give you praise in everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name. And the church said, in Jesus' name.